Uh, April the 1st, 2018, lecture discussion number 17 on the book of Joel, and I know what you're thinking. That, that doesn't seem to fit what I usually do. Well, this time it actually does. This is the Sunday upon which we celebrate and remember the body, body resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Bill the Fast pointed out earlier in the service. And uh, this is the day that Christ referred to at John 2, 19, 21, when he said this, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. And he was speaking of his body, the temple of his body, the text says. So today is the day that we are remembering he said that. Today is the commemorating of the feast day. As you know, there are seven feast days. I'll just give you some of it. Passover, unleavened bread. Most people think that's University of Las Vegas when I do that. Okay, first fruits. Then I have, we will say Pentecost, but it's really Shavuot. But I'll put Pentecost because there's... Or, I'm sorry, 49 plus 1, that's how we get the Pentecost, the 50. Then we have trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, or booths. Those are the seven feast days of the Lord. Those are His days. So any day that is not one of these is not one of His days. That's just the facts. And today is what we're remembering, is that he chose that one, the third one of the seven. He chose the third feast day of the Lord, first fruits. God, the third of his feast days, picked... I'm sorry, he chose the third... This is the one, and he did it because this is the one that conforms to, comports to, is consistent with his resurrection. None of the others are. They all have an individual role to play. This is the one of the resurrection. This is the one of the crucifixion, or where he gives up his life because no one can take it from him. He must extinguish himself. He's God. So this is the death. This is the burial. This is the resurrection. This is the ascension. These three are yet to be determined. That's just how he did it. Knowing that pattern is very valuable to you. I hope to make the case better as, as the four-hour dissertation goes along. Actually, it's really short today. The reason it's short is because of what? That's right, prime rib. I know my limitations. Jesus Christ resurrected himself on first fruits, destroyed this temple, and in three days I... We'll raise it up. That's what he said. But as you know, God the Father resurrected Jesus Christ on first fruits. The Holy Spirit resurrected Jesus Christ on first fruits. And Jesus Christ resurrected himself on first fruits, as we should expect. This is the triunity of God, the triune nature of God, the sameness, the imminency of God. This imminency necessitates that all three are involved in the resurrection. Now, I can logically explain that to you, but I hope that you can understand. How do you separate them into individuals? They can't be separated. It's not a triad. It's not an egg. How appropriate is that today? Not at all. But it's not an egg which has a yolk 
and it has a white and it has a shell. That's a triad, three, indist three distinct pieces that make up the whole. You know that I have three persons that are the whole. They cannot be separated. They cannot be divided. Sameness. And so if one is involved, all are involved. And it is very common on today to separate who from the triunity of the nature of God. So, all of that, uh, and again, I'll, as the weeks come along, I, I made a note to myself to go and explain and pull out those verses that demonstrate this triunity in the resurrection of Christ. But now for today, how does the resurrection of Christ reach into the book of Joel? Because it is, in fact, amazingly done. Where in Joel is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why is the resurrection, why is first fruits in the prophecy of Joel? And that's the question that we're going to deal with today just because I'm wanting to keep on the Joel subject, which is where we have been, and I also wanted to cover these aspects of it so that, because uh, I don't think I've done it very often. And I'm trying not to repeat the same things every First fruits. Joel is in first fruits, or first fruits is in Joel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is in Joel because there are three facets to the resurrection. Get rid of this for you. Three things the resurrection does, three aspects whatever words you wish to use. And most Christians know this one. They, most of us know number one. Hardly anyone knows number two. And, and I will tell you that the third is completely, if not totally, unknown in the church today. I would expect that. The Bible tells me, Revelation 3.16, at the end of the age of the Gentile, the church is a disaster, doctrinally. The Laodicean age is the church in, in tremendous conflict over the deity of Christ. Most Christians, as I said, will know the first, and, but the rest of them are, are, have been obscured over the centuries. And you should know by now, I hope you have guessed, uh, which one is the third in? Where do I find the third aspect of the resurrection? I'm going to find it in the book of Joel. That's where it is. Joel and first fruits are intrinsically linked. And if that is so, and it is so, not because I say it's so, it's so because it is so. That makes sense. I've made you like me. If first fruits and Joel are connected, and they are, then what else is connected to first fruits? And I'm telling you that there are three aspects, and this one is Joel. If that one is Joel, where else is it? What is connected to Joel? Revelation chapter 9 is connected to Joel. In fact, all of Revelation is connected to Joel. What else is then a first fruits aspect? The book of Revelation of Jesus Christ is, is, conforms also to the feast day of first fruits. As the revelation, the revealing of the person of Christ as God himself is clearly melded into the book of Joel. Let me repeat that. Christ is revealed in the book of Revelation as God himself, creator God himself, walking in the midst of man again. This is God. And that's what the book of Revelation, John the Revelator, that's what he gives to us in Scripture through the Holy Spirit. 
That's the whole purpose of it. Well, Joel and Revelation are also connected and fantastically connected to Revelation chapter 9, as you know, because you've been here for the last 15 months. So Revelation 9 and Joel 2 lead to the renaming of the woman by Adam at Genesis 3, and that connects us to first fruits and is the third facet of the resurrection of Christ. And I hope that you all know that, I, um, in the sense that I hope that you know Revelation 9, Joel 2, and the renaming of the woman, calling her the mother of all living, at uh, Genesis 3. Now, I could have omitted Joel 3 today. Most people probably expected that I would. and But, I, again, I, I thought, no, this is a time to do this particular portion of it. And so I wanted to. But I could have launched into the sun and the moon. Because whenever you're dealing with the feast days, you're dealing with sun and moon. And everybody does so enjoy sun and moon. You would expect to find Joel in, uh, to have sun and moon references. Because sun and moon gets you into the feast days, as I said. What that is, of course, is a Semitic lunar calendar. You realize that we've had at least three calendars of any value in the history of man. One is the lunar calendar or the Jewish calendar or the Hebrew calendar or the Semitic calendar. The other is the Romans called the Julian calendar because of who? Julius Caesar, that's correct. They killed him for it. That's a joke. It didn't actually, but it went over really easily. I could have convinced you. So I have the Semitic lunar calendar, which is a calendar that is based on the appearing and the disappearing of the moon. As you know, the moon appears and disappears in 29.5 days. Now, that's a problem mathematically immediately because we know we have more days or more uh, days in a, a month. So clearly we have to correct for problems. The Julian Roman Earth, I'm sorry, Earth orbit is about the sun and how, not, how the Earth orbits. So the orbitable, orbital pattern of the Earth around the sun. So one is a lunar calendar, the other is an Earth orbit around the sun, or a solar calendar, if you will. And then the Gregorian calendar, which we have now. And I recognize that everybody loves themselves a three-hour lecture on full moons and equinoxes and solstices and Julius Caesar and Pope Gregory. I know that you're coming hoping for that. That's next week. Seriously, it really is, because in order to understand these feast days, you're going to have to understand how he ordered them, and he used the moon. So I have sun and moons, new moons, full moons, and no moons. I hope you understand this, and maybe you don't, but this is really sixth grade astronomy class, I guess. I don't see the new moon for at least two days. It's there. We were having a wonderful conversation earlier. I just had so much fun with it, with Dana that I'll probably include it somehow. He asked, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? And, of course, I would ask you, how much of the egg do I have to see in order for the egg to exist? Am I the determining factor on the existence of the egg? When does the egg exist? When I see it and proclaim it ex its existence? Does it, when does the egg exist in the chicken? When does the moon exist? When is the new moon? You can't see the new moon. You have to have two witnesses, you realize that in the Hebrew, in order to identify the new moon. So that's when we start. 
So I get a new moon, and then the new moon goes into a full moon. Do I have to draw all the pictures? Okay. New moon, full moon, and then it disappears. And so that is a lunar calendar month. And you see, first fruits is within the seven days of Passover. Some say eight, some say seven, but for today we'll say seven because I like seven and therefore I have the dry erase marker and I get to make it seven. But there are seven days of Passover. And where Passover falls in those seven days is of, of uh, particular interest to us. And first fruits is in those seven days, as is unleavened bread. Passover is proximate to the vernal equinox, but not correspondent. What I mean by that is when the vernal equinox, which is what we would call daylight savings time. Now, when is a, when was the vernal equinox this, this spring? Somewhere back in first week or so of March, right? When I've got 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of, when I have equality, equinox, then that is the, uh, that is the vernal or the spring equinox. And Passover is, a, is proximate because it's necessary for Passover to be connected to the spring harvest of Israel. But it's not necessarily on the full moon. Unleavened bread is the subsequent day. So if, for example, the first day of the Passover week happened to be Passover because of the lunar calendar, then the second day would be unleavened bread. So the, if, then, the, then I would have a Sabbath, for example. Let's say I had a Sabbath on the, on the sixth day. That would be the weekly Sabbath. Keep in mind that Passover is a high Sabbath and unleavened bread is a high Sabbath. So that when Matthew talks about the Sabbaths in the crucifixion week, he's pointing out. So if something happened after the Sabbaths, plural, it's a plural word. Now, your Bibles will not have had that. They will omit that S. That's a big problem. I need to know how many Sabbaths there were in the crucifixion week. If this is first fruits, or I'm sorry, if this is the weekly Sabbath, Saturday, then first fruits would be here the next day after the weekly Sabbath that is after Passover. The first one. So that is why we, why we uh, the early Christian church, wanted to eliminate the Jewish influence in the worship or the commemoration or the memorializing of the uh, crucifixion and resurrection and burial and resurrection of Christ. But that is why we do it on a Sunday, because we recognize that Sunday is going to be first fruits. So today I have I have a let me get on the Internet. I have a first fruits tie. Did you notice? It's because I'm a fashion icon. That's why. And I'm trying to rec you know, I'm trying to sell Worcestershire sauce because they're a sponsor of the program and I'm trying to sell. They don't know it. But that doesn't stop me. I'm trying to sell Diet Coke for the same reasons. And now, now we're going to sell first fruit ties. Because, my goodness, you can only get them here. No one else can make these but us. And I think they're what? What are they? $1,500 or something. <laughs> Pretty sure that's true because that's the cost of labor. I won't get into how much. Uh, oh, my goodness. Never mind. Our city is in a terrible shape financially. 
But today is actually first fruits, and by that I mean the Hebrew feast day of first fruits. It actually is today. If you look at the Hebrew calendar, today is the Hebrew feast day of first fruits. So it coincides today. Hence the time. Doesn't always. So with that in mind, we should read what I, su- uh, I submit is the uh, most applicable first fruits passage in the Bible. And that, of course, as you all know, is 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28. So let's go there. I could have read Joel 2.31 and Joel 3.15. Joel 2.31 says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Sun, moon. Anytime I have a sun, moon, I'm looking at these feast days. And the sun and moon will grow dark again. Feast day references, but hardly anyone, probably no one, reads Joel 2.31 and Joel 3.15 on first fruits, though someone just did. Everyone, however, reads 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28. And you know I'm making fun, because no one does that either, which is a shame. Maybe no one does it. They should, and as you see, you shall see, I hope that they will. So here it is. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. The Holy Spirit has led Paul to write this letter. He is writing it to the Corinthians. And obviously there are Corinthians that do not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is saying to them, the Holy Spirit through Paul, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Remember, there are three facets to the resurrection. I'm going to read it to you. You pick out the three facets. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. He's saying, I could have said it this way. He could have written it this way. We could interpret it this way. Uh, yes, and we are, and we have found false witnesses. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up God. So this is the triunity again of the Godhead. Learn to not separate it from the resurrection. I have to read it all again. Yes, we are found, we, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Jesus Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, pathetic, ashamed, put in your word. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become, Christ has become the first fruits. Very important that you know that. Of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. He's the first fruits. Of all the festivals that he could have made or he could have chosen, this is the one he made and this is the one he chose to be his resurrection. The first fruits. You can't separate the first fruits from the resurrection of Christ. He made sure that you don't. However, how's it going? It's gone. Contemporary church has booted it out. Why did they do that? When did they do it? What's the motive for it? How is it that we, re- we disregard 1 Corinthians 15? But each one in his order, Christ the first fruits. Let me put that on the board. Christ the first fruits. After, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign, he must reign, it says, he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. How many is all? The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. And when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he, he who puts all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be, the, be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God. I repeated that. Purposefully. Okay, the fundamental, the foundation of Christian doctrine, the essential truth, is the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the foundational truth of our faith. If there is no body resurrection, then we are what? We are a mess. So if you think that you are a believer in Christ without believing in the body resurrection of Christ, then you're not a believer in Christ. This is the fundamental and this is what the Holy Spirit through Paul makes abundantly clear at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 58. I only read 16 verses. How come? Buffet. So to rephrase the first principle of the resurrection of Christ. All resurrection is dependent on Christ's resurrection. Let me say it again a different way. The first principle of the resurrection of God. All resurrection is dependent on God's resurrection. So, all resurrection. Now that... is a much more complicated statement than it might appear. All resurrection that occurs, occurs because Christ has resurrected. Now, I realize there are distinctions in resurrections. 
How many resurrections are there? I asked this question of my eighth grade Bible classes when I was teaching. How many resurrections are there? I will give you a hint. There are five. And each one has an order, and each one has a place, and each one has a time, and each one has distinct individuals in it. Let's just deal with two. There is a distinction of the resurrection of those who believe and those who refuse, those who reject Christ. There are disparate resurrections at different times. Nonetheless, the statement remains true. All resurrections are subject to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no resurrection that can happen that is not subordinate to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Christ did not raise himself up, our faith is futility. Therefore, we have not been given existence if he has not raised up. We have no existence. All we have is a temporal state waiting to be revealed as a temporal state. As our existence is reliant on God's existence, and Christ is saying to us, Paul is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, God is saying to us, our existence is dependent upon Christ's resurrection. I think that makes sense, doesn't it, to you? Where do you think your existence comes from? How do you exist? Who made you exist? Can you make yourself exist? That's why your existence has to be evaluated. Our existence is reliant on God's existence. You can't, I can't, no one can exist apart from God's existence. People who want God to cease to exist amaze me, amuse me actually. Because if God did not exist, there is no existence. Nothing exists unless he exists. To wish for his non-existence is to eliminate existence. And Christ must be infinite God for us to be saved. If he is not infinite God, there is no salvation. There is no resurrection. If in this life we have hope only in Christ and he is not risen, then we of all men are the most pitiable, the most ashamed. I'm repeating all of that because I want to hammer in all resurrection is dependent on Christ's resurrection. That is the first aspect of the resurrection of Christ. The first principle. Thus it becomes crucial that we are understanding why the first principle is an absolute truth. I want you to know the first principle today. There it is. All resurrections... No, you can't. We don't have enough time. Put your hand back down and be polite. For once, you have a guest. (laughs) I can do that to him because he's older than me by a lot. I'll wait. I'll get you in when I can. Okay? This first principle, I want you to know it. That's what it is. But why is it that way? How is it that way? Can you explain it? Knowing it is wonderful. Do you understand it? So it becomes critical, in my opinion, to know why the first principle is the first principle, why it is absolute truth. Know the reasoning, for, or formulate, express, reason through all of that that flows from this first principle. Maybe next week. 
since this is uh, Corinthians 15:12 through 28 today. Next week is going to be Joel 3:26, 3:27. Which is this? This is Joel 3:26, 3:27. I will attempt to derive the logical progression here that accommodates the first principle of the resurrection of Christ, but I don't have time today. Obviously, I couldn't take Mike's question. Because what would Mike have done to us? Just completely obliterated us. But here we go, Mike. Here's your chance to send us into another 45 minutes. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Um, I'm not going to put the adjective in front of his resurrection. Because it gives an implication that I don't think um, uh, is necessary. We can argue later. Hopefully you have already noticed the second principle, because I read it to you, didn't I? Hopefully you found it. More medicine. Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? As an aside here, God only refers to believers as having fallen asleep. So that is a euphemism for believers. It is a temporary suspension of the physical body. He calls that falling asleep for believers. He never refers to unbelievers as falling asleep. Only believers. Physical. The body is physically uh, temporarily out of service to him. That's what falling asleep means. And hopefully you saw the Genesis 3 reference in there. In Adam all die, in Christ all live. Again, two separate groups. All does not mean all. In the second group, I have all and I have all. All die in Adam, that's all. In Christ all live, that's a different all. Does that make sense? Nod your heads. Okay. All who believe in Christ, all who have belief in the first principle of the resurrection, shall be made alive as God defines alive. All die in Adam, but all who believe in Christ, including belief in the fundamental, they're going to be resurrected to life as God defines life. He defines life differently than most of us, all of us probably do. We don't understand what life really is anymore, but we'll learn. So the second principle of the resurrection of Christ is this first fruits covenant. The first fruits feast day explains this covenant. It's a contractual aspect. God's resurrection of himself assures the resurrection to life of his saints, his sheep, us. It is the cause, if you will. His resurrection precipitates our resurrections. It's the guarantee. So this is what guarantees that we... I hope I spelled guarantees right. I've been in trouble having spelling problems lately. 
I think that's right. His resurrection is our guarantee that we will be resurrected. Again, it is, a, it is an agreement, if you will. It proves you will be resurrected. So there's the next obvious question, is it not? Why is this so? How is it that his resurrection is the warranty that, that I have, the contract that I have, that is prima facie proof, evidence, that I will, be, I will be guaranteed my own resurrection to life? How is that the guarantee? How does it work? Why is it this way? What does it prove? Exactly. Because it clearly his resurrection proves this. How does it do it? The third principle of the resurrection of Christ is the delivery of the kingdom t- to the triune Godhead. I hope you caught that. I read it pretty fast. So that God may be all in all. What does all in all mean? I'll read it again for you. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, and he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet so that God may be all in all. I skipped a paragraph there. What does all in all mean when God may be all in all? Why is Christ doing this? That's, why, does it, why is it necessary to deliver the kingdom, and that's the messianic kingdom, the thousand years, why is it necessary to deliver the kingdom to the triune nature of God or the Godhead? Because that's what he's doing. First, all resurrections are dependent on his resurrection. He is the guarantee that those who believe in him are going to be resurrected. He proves that with being the first fruits, and then he delivers the kingdom. Those are the three principles of the resurrection. What does it all mean? What does it all accomplish? Well, basically, this is God taking back his creation, and he's doing so in phases. How does this affect the whole of his creation? Who haven't I mentioned here? Who is watching God deliver to God the kingdom so that God can be all in all? Who is watching God guarantee that everyone who believes in him will be resurrected? Who is watching God, his resurrection, making all resurrections dependent on his resurrection? Besides humanity. Clearly, there's an angelic realm watching these phases. They know what the three principles are. For today, at least, be aware that there are three principles and there's an order to them. As in Scripture, there's always an order. This one has to be first. This one has to be second. This one has to be third. You can't exchange them out of order. Why is the order the order and what does it all prove? Why is he doing it? Begin, my goal for you over the next few weeks is to grasp the totality and the importance of the feast day of first fruits. Christ is the feast day of first fruits. What is he not? I'll leave that up to you. What do we call him? But he's not that. He is the feast day of first fruits. And today, as I said, happens to be the feast day of first fruits. How fortuitous. 
amazing. He is the first fruits, the feast day of first fruits of those who are made alive. It is crucial to know why he's doing it this way, why he chose this day, why this is the feast day that he picked, because it has these three principles there. He did not choose the traditions of men. Sorry. Not really fake sorry. And yet the church has given up on the truth of first fruits and the three principles of it and embrace the, the traditions of man and they love it and I can't pry it from them nothing I can do I know that I have uh, the wave is overwhelming as I would expect as we are in the age of Laodicea okay now we'll close everyone's favorite words with reading Joel Joel 26 through 32. These are amazing verses. And they are about the third principle, the delivery of the kingdom. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame Remember what Paul said, if Christ has not been resurrected, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. Christ just promises us right here, and my people shall never be put to shame. My resurrection guarantees your resurrection. And he will make that so. And then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. He is saying to the nation of Israel, I am the God of Israel. I am the Lord your God. He tells them... Face to face. That's what that means. Israel finally recognizes that Christ is God and he is the Lord their God. And he is the God of all things and he is the creator of all things. John 1. My people shall never be put to shame. Let me put it this way. My people will not be ashamed. What's that? Probably the most misunderstood verse in all of Genesis. Adam and Eve were and not ashamed. If I had a dollar for every commentary I've read about that that did not have these there, I would have the largest motor home in all of the world. Ashamed starts out, the first mention of ashamed is in Genesis 3, and you should expect it in Joel 3, because Joel 3 through Revelation 9 through repentance, the woman is the first of all who repent. That is why she is named the mother of all the living. Here it is, Genesis 3, screaming off the page. We have to decide what ashamed means in Genesis 3. And does it mean the same here in Joel? Does it mean the same in 1 Corinthians? Does it mean the same everywhere it is? What do you think? Then you shall know that I am, I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Again, this is Israel. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. And also my maidservants and, and my and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days because he's in the midst of Israel and they finally know who Jesus Christ really is. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. There I am, solar calendars, lunar calendars, Julian, Gregorian, Clavius, Everyone will love that day. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a guarantee. Shall be resurrected. That's a warranty. That's a contract. And it is proven to be true because he's the first fruits. It's proven to be true because all resurrection is dependent on his resurrection. And once he does that, he delivers the kingdom to himself. Because there's sameness in God. And that's what we're celebrating today. This one and this one are in place. We're waiting for this one. Which is why I keep bringing up Israel and what's going on in the Middle East. But today actually is the first fruits. This is a wonderful day to realize that your resurrection, your salvation is guaranteed. It's fantastic news. It has nothing to do with eggs and chickens or fertility in any way. Now... Do we have going on downstairs, little kids running around searching for plastic eggs, what we call petroleum-based products? Yes, we do. I, I, I recognize the traditions of men are very powerful, and I don't want to stop anybody from doing anything. I can't. I don't want to control you. I'm the least controlling person I hope you ever meet. I don't want any authority over you at all at any time ever Uh, you do what you want you have free will I want you to know that however as long as you know that Christ is the first fruits okay I'll say it he is not the Easter you're okay you can know Paul used to say that didn't he he did say that He would go into a pharisaical environment and he would act like a rabbinical Jew, knowing all along the truth of circumcision, the truth of the law, the truth of the Pharisee system was invalidated, completely worthless. But he would participate. Because why? He wanted to talk to them. I will be all things to all people. I want you to know what these three are and how to defend them. And next week, we'll take a run at it.